When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Matt D'Elia is Confused. This is Matt D'Elia and this is a guest I was extremely uh, interested in talking to. Um, she was a little hesitant and wary, uh, which is totally understandable uh, because my guest is Rachel Dolezal and she... If you have seen the documentary on Netflix, The Rachel Divide, or if you've been uh, paying attention at all to the news in the last several years, um, she's been in it a lot, and people have had a lot to say about her. Almost all of it not good, at least the stuff that you're seeing. Um, and I, I was really excited to talk to her. And um, the conversation, I think, uh, went to really, really amazing places. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. I, I, for, I don't know what to say for anyone who doesn't know who Rachel Dolezal is. I guess get your head out of the sand um, because, uh, because your head is in the sand. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I guess just a brief context, um, she... She was the center of the, and, 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 and uh, a very massive controversy um, for um, saying she was uh, or, or, or being in the NAACP and uh, leading, I believe, the cha uh, chapter in a uh, local chapter in Washington state. Uh, of the NAACP and winning awards for uh, various things. And then she was outed on, on, on camera uh, as being, uh, as not actually being black. Um, and that was sort of the uh, thing that set everything off. She was dragged through the press. Uh, anytime she was asked to be interviewed, uh, people would promise her that they'd be nice and they just wanted to understand and then they'd fucking drill her and uh, stomp on her, which, look, if you think she deserves to be stomped on, fine. That's actually, n n to me, that's sort of neither here nor there, though. Uh, if you're going to tell her, you're going to let her explain herself, you should actually do that. And I wanted to do that. Uh, and because I'm interested in a lot of the things that her story sort of sparked in terms of the national conversation and what it brought out of people and her perspective on that. Um, and in our email exchange, when uh, she was sort of hesitant, 
I just told her, I was like, look, uh, anything that people want to know about you, about all of that shit, they can Google it or they can watch the documentary that's easily available to them. But I was interested in something a little bit more, uh, uh, possibly gaining more insight and learning more about her as a person, uh, and, and her experience both before, during, and after, uh, the controversy. So think what you want. Uh, actually, it, I, I don't think it really matters what you think, where you fall on the spectrum of whether you hate her or are confused by her or, or, or want to defend her or whatever it is. I think this is something worth listening to. Um, and, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. And that is enough out of me alone. Here is my conversation with Rachel Dolezal on Matt D'Elia is Confused. Matt D'Elia. Okay. I'm Rachel Dolezal, and I'm a mother, an artist, an author, an activist, um, and an educator. And those are kind of different threads that have woven through my life for the last 20 plus years and continue to kind of drive who I am today. Cool. Um, all right. So we spoke a little bit via, via email, uh, um, just as, as, um, uh, and I thought we, we could start just like broad because I feel like so much has already, as we've discussed, so much has already been covered with you beaten to death, if you will, about, you know, issues around you. But I just thought we could talk broadly and then talk about you and, and, and just open up a discussion and sort of like forget about that stuff as, as we've discussed via email. So I don't, if we wanted to just sort of like in your, if in your eyes, just sort of like, um, defining, uh, race and, 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 and racism as you see it, uh, and then we can jump forward from there. Sure. So yeah, I agree that a lot of things have been talked about. I don't. I don't know. You know, I would just say that I don't know that things have been covered in terms of represented accurately. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> yeah. About me, but um, you know, yeah, I'm. I'm kind of tired of going around in circles on yeah. some of those questions. So yeah, I appreciate um, the fresh question, and and I really think that you know, race has kind of two definitions. There's the scientific one, and because I'm an academic and have taught um, at the university level 15 college courses, um, I I really see it as scientifically in an accurate sense just to mean our common homo sapien origins, you know, like the human race. Like that's sure. really what race means, right? With, because the human race doesn't meet the zoological requirements for separate races, but in a socially constructed sense and the way that people behave in America, race uh, since colonial times has really meant um, a group of people sharing set or innate biological and behavioral traits. And that really, you know, was birthed, as I said, of the colonial era and the advent of white supremacy. Right, right, right. So you're, you're, broader scope of 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 race is sort of well we all 
and this is just sort of indisputable. So it's it's less an opinion than than more of a point of view uh, that you mm-hmm. that which is just we all literally come from the same place. So what even is race if it's not we're all the same? That's kind of where you're coming from. Well, no, obviously we're not all the same. Sure. You know, there's culture, there's gender, there's sexual orientation. I mean, there are a lot of things that we can talk about as far as differences. But when it comes to, um, you know, does the 0.1% that accounts for hair texture, skin tone, or eye shape or whatever, you know, does that actually signal um behavioral traits, IQ level, all of these things that have been like attached to all the stereotypes around the race worldview, because that's really the foundation of those ideas of what is um, a person and what is their worth uh, based on how they were born or who who their parents are. And I think that, um, yeah, definitely the you know, we're we're all members of really technically the black human race because right. we all go back to, you know, yeah. a, a, um, a black woman, you know. And so that ancestry, though, has been not only ignored, but really um, avoided and undermined by this colonial mentality of, you know, creating hierarchies. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to you're talking about defining racism. Racism is very real, although it is enacting this fiction mm. of different groups um, being, you know, having these innate differences that we can predict and expect and then treat people accordingly. I think that racism is really, um, you know, a, a, a behavior or a, a doing an action of the race worldview, like seeing that, um Thing that, through the lens of a hierarchy, right. you know, that there is uh, there are groups that are superior and inferior, and we're then going to disrespect or judge or even um, enact violence upon groups who are seen as less than. And so I think, you know, as human beings, that's, that's really what racism is. Right, right, right. And I want to get back to racism specifically, but bef- but I think, you know, just one Google search and you can find a thousand fucking trillion things that people have said about you and your identity and everybody has an opinion. I mean, if, if, yeah. what do you, in your eyes, just, uh, what do you, what, I guess, what do you feel is the most important focus when it comes to race in America now from your perspective? Well, um, the reason why I spent 20 years of my life you know, advocating for human rights and civil rights is because I really believe that um, the two key things that are most important today are undoing this race worldview, but also um, undoing racism by implementing um, justice, equity, and inclusion, um, not just for all groups, but for all individuals, because mm. there's so much nuance and variety within each group, you know? Yeah. So um, you might have that, that intersectionality between uh, maybe somebody who identifies as like, you know, a black lesbian who's disabled or whatever, like yeah. what aspect of your identity is the most powerful in um, kind of curbing your life chances and opportunities 
um, you know, how does a person feel marginalized um, in, in terms of, you know, just kind of moving in the world and interacting with others. And I think that sometimes one or more of those um, categories can kind of come to the surface as being, you know, and that's why people say like, you know, I'm, I'm going to advocate for LGBT rights. And that's like my, and it, right. in my case, I feel like even though I am bisexual, always have been bisexual, but it's like, I don't necessarily put that at the forefront of my activism just because I, I really believe that um, the, you know, the race worldview and the injustices and oppressions facing my children and, you know, people who I love are um, like the critical emergency issue right now, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, my, my private life as a bisexual woman. But sure. so I think that, yeah, like my, my focus has always been on justice, you know, and equity. Mm -hmm. And when I was president of the NAACP in the local chapter here, I really focused on the five, um, you know, developing five committees for game changer issues for, you know, undoing racism in, you know, and or like promoting equity, justice, and inclusion. And you can look at it either, either way, like we are going to, you know, undo inequity and injustice, you know, mm -hmm. and, or we can, you know, you can look at it as we're going to implement inclusion and equity and justice. So those five key areas that I think are the key areas right now today with whether it's democratic debates, the, you know, political process, whatever, are political representation, criminal justice and public safety, um, education, uh, economic development or just the economic um, opportunities and then healthcare. Mm -hmm. You know, those are kind of like the five big areas that racism has been institutionalized in America. Right. It's an interesting um, distinction you make between undo and implement. How, like how it, even though it might, if, if let's say if both went the right way, they, the result would be the same ideally but do you see a difference and is one sort of like a clearer path to you between undoing and implementing well i think you have to do it you have to kind of uh do some work of undoing as like pre-implementation mm -hmm. like you have to do some preliminary work there first mm -hmm. in reducing prejudices and coming to an understanding of like you know the basic we are the human race, you know, like da 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 da. Like yeah. just kind of like get some starting points so that people can um, agree and and then start acting on on the basis of those shared values. Right. Because I think if you don't really undo prejudices, you know, you reduce the prejudices or undo racism first, then sometimes it's harder to implement equity and and inclusion because people are still kind of you know, trying to go to their separate groups mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to decide who belongs and who doesn't belong and all that kind of stuff. And and so you can't really move past that, mm -hmm. you know, if, if people are still caught up in, in that activity, then there's no way that you can really, um, you know, bring full the, the full meaning of inclusion equity forward. Right, so, right, right. 
I see a lot of that in like in identity politics and just in the in the political, you know, and even just news media chatter. It's there. It's like there's a consistent attempt or or effort being made to kind of stoke the fire of um, the binary, you know, like black versus mm-hmm. white versus, you know, Democrat versus Republican, like the whole, like, go to your, go to your corners. We're going to fight right. <laughs> yeah. instead of, you know, how can we I, identify like some human areas where we have shared values and goals and then work toward uh, because I think that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be like, Oh, I'm racist. Right. But they hold private prejudices mm-hmm. about groups yeah. or, you know, judge individuals based on those prejudices or, or enact microaggressions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, and that's something that we talk a lot about in academia is like the, the kind of, um, you know, like touching somebody's hair or just right. these subtle little daily things that, you know, comments made or, scooting away from someone or locking your door when somebody walks by or just like just little things that, you know, yeah, it wasn't a violent act and you didn't fly the flag of white nationalism, <laughs> but you made it clear that, that, you know, it's us and them or it's the other group right. or the other, you know, person. And, and I think that that can have a, like a cumulative effect psychologically that can be, you know, similarly damaging over time mm-hmm. to a more direct, active racism. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of reinforcing of, of things that are not helpful. You know, I mean, you mentioned the media stoking Uh flames and you know, it's, it's so based around, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like clickbait basically, you know, people, Uh the idea is that they're trying to get you to click on something because there's conflict in it and tension. And you're much more likely to click on that than you are to click on something that is either more complex or even more peaceful as, as an interaction. You know, I mean, I've just even seen that with you. I mean, even if somebody says, Hey, come talk to me, it's going to be an open dialogue. I mean, I feel like there's still, it's, there's still this contentiousness that they're, after really and i and I, and it gets to that oh, yeah. sort of binary thing you're talking about yeah well and i and i have never agreed to an interview that at the outset they're like oh we want to just you know i mean ambush you and fight with you and and put you on the spot and make you you know try and mm-hmm. box you in and you know nobody ever said that everybody's always like we just want you to give you an opportunity to share your story and then as soon as you get there yeah there is the ambush there is you know and when there's not like when there's an open discussion like what we're having right now, then sometimes that that particular interview will just kind of get buried. Like a lot of a lot of the more thoughtful, more nuanced interviews, because I've done about sixty interviews, they nobody's ever even watched them. You know, at the top of the yeah. Google searches, at the top of the YouTube searches are always the um more, you know, like dramatic um, kind of like you said, adversarial. Right. And and I think that really the whole thing back in 2015 was really a manufactured mm. frenzy over like is she black or white? Like oh my god, you know. And and that it was just like created and just soaked like for you know hundreds of articles and even books and like all this yeah. stuff is just like it just got 
poked and prodded and and really it was the the kind of like poking the hornet's nest of race that's you know like a very contentious issue and has hundreds of years of uh pain and you know like all all of this feeling and emotions around that issue Mm -hmm. so i really feel like a lot of that ended up being a conversation not even about me you know it was just really about how people felt about the the topic or people expressing their personal pain or projecting their personal pain onto you me, but just, you know, I became kind of like a punching bag that was useful because a lot of people wanted to get, get their feelings out right. and from both sides, you know, and it became like, you know, not, not taboo to, to take the gloves off and just, you know, <laughs> go in on me, you know, for anybody, you know, so it was just, yeah, I think that a lot of that, um, so not, not, you know, take me out of the picture, just in, even in the political commentary is just constantly poked and prodded when it comes to race or, you know, any kind of um, difference like sexual orientation or gender Mm -hmm. or, you know, and it's hard for people to just see somebody as, you know, body, spirit, and mind. Like, like it's hard for people to kind of like, well, let's talk about this person's mindset (laughs) and let's talk about their heart and their intentions. Nobody cares. You know, like let's talk about what they look like. Let's talk about, you know, this thing over here that we can argue about. So it's so true. It's really interesting too. I mean, the, 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 just even the idea that, you know, the reach out to you is like, let's have a dialogue. And then the enacting of, of it, once it comes along the actual interview, when it's happening, it's just a different story. I find that, I mean, it just is, It that's just fucking dishonest just as much as anything else that's dishonest. So I don't see how that right. is benefiting really anybody. But 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 also, I've, I, I mean, I, I saw the um, documentary that was made about you and it, and it, and it just, <clears throat> it was strange and, and sort of particularly upsetting to, to see, um, you know, you're literally just one person in the world and everybody right. wants to talk to you because of this thing that they're sensationalizing, whatever it is. And, and mm-hmm. then, and, and, and I'm curious not to deviate too off, off topic, but just if we could talk about it real quick, the, the aftermath of those things, like if you go on like the today show and they say, we just want to hear your story. And then they railroad you. What, happens like right after that is there any acknowledgement of like i'm sorry it went that way or are they just like we got what we wanted now you can go no not at all yeah there's there's just it's just like you know with you and actually when i did the today show i did um i only agreed to that initial interview with matt lauer because i was a big fan of melissa harris perry who Mm -hmm. was on msnbc at that point and i said if if i do the today show I get an interview with her because I knew she would be more academic and she kind of brought up the, like, you know, instead of transracial, maybe like, you know, you're trans black, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe that should be like vocabulary. We start using like cis black and trans black. And, you know, like she had like a more academic approach mm-hmm. to the, to the topic, but I feel like, you know, I did, so I did today's show MSNBC with Melissa Harris Perry. And then I did Savannah Guthrie all like just back to back. So they were just like, in one interview, going right into the next one, mm-hmm. there was no conversation about 
course, I kept hoping, like, okay, well, maybe the next one will be better. But <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, that was five minutes, you know? Yeah. But at, to your point of, is it dishonest? Absolutely, it's dishonest. Meanwhile, everybody's, you know, pointing the finger, calling me dishonest. Right. But it's like you guys just dated me to be here, and it, it would be poor form to you know, try and point that out, right. you know, I, it's just not my style to be super confrontational because I kind of just am a humble person by nature. Like I don't like to fight. I like to, you know, kind of withdraw and reflect. Right. <laughs> so when people are kind of coming at me, my style is usually to just like let them have their day. And then, you know, when, when I feel like people are actually listening to my voice, maybe I will start talking more, you know, or right. get, getting more, um, verbal about things but so anyway but they did they do that obviously for money i mean that was the that was the most viewed today show episode in the entire history of the today show oh my was God. my interview with matt, matt lauer and matt lauer is making what 26 million a year and yeah. then of course he's probably banging with his parents you know before he talked to me but you know his like condescending attitude and just all these questions about you know like how can you say you know, you're black or this or that. And it, it's just the whole thing seems <laughs> seemed very hypocritical you know? yeah. in the moment. I'm like, you're pointing the finger, but, you know, let's just, but okay. And it was just, it was kind of just a lot of surviving the moment yeah. for me and my kids and my sister, you know, through all that, I really was hoping to kind of set the record straight rebuild my reputation like get get things back on track to us kind of going back to our lives and that did not happen yeah sure um, yeah because everybody just like drowned me out right. you know like just kept shouting about everything and and i just kind of was like well i guess nobody's listening to me let me just <laughs> stop right. talking and write my book yeah you know? yeah sure yeah Do a little, read that. <laughs> it's it's interesting i mean just the hypocrisy on display with someone like matt lauer you know this like powerful guy who abuses people behind the scenes has you on to fucking railroad you. Like, it's just, it's a strange, strange system that, um, yeah, I, I find it weird that, that you kind of alluded to this. Everybody sort of, it's like they wanted to talk about this shit anyway, and they used you and your story as a way into that. And, and, and what, without, either without realizing or possibly without giving a shit sort of like dragged you around behind them uh, and, and fucked you up and had no care about that because they were getting, you were their vehicle to getting their point across. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And that's why I say it wasn't a lot of times I just kind of had to take a breath and be like, this isn't even about me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the things that like the, the assumptions and the 10th degree that people went to, to, you know, just, just like assume everything in a blanket sense about my life, mm-hmm. just because they, because they saw, you know, two white parents on TV saying they're white, like a hundred times, you know, like, and then to just assume that was actually the, you know, like r- the race worldview in action, Right. right there. Right, you know, right, my entire life, you know, had led up to a certain point of I was winning awards for my teaching and mentoring the month before this. I was winning awards for my leadership in the community for the for the advocacy work, you know, the effectiveness mm-hmm. of my advocacy work um, in very specific ways. And then all of a sudden, just wait, her parents look like this. 
you know, let's see, like every, everything about her is now called into question. Yeah, that's actually, so, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the first things you know, it made, I would think about when I would think about you. It's like, I don't know if it's, it's like, it's like looking at a whole story and then only focusing on like this one point. And I think it speaks to, again, what you were saying. It's like people just want to talk about what they want to talk about, you know, and they're not right. interested in the rest of you and even any potentially positive things you've done because a, nobody's going to click on that is what they're thinking. And they mm-hmm. might not even be wrong, which is its own sad thing, but, but B they're not, they don't care. They don't care about the good right. things you've done, which I find like the one of the darkest elements of the whole thing. You know, they really only care about the fucking the 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 way that they can talk about their own shit. You know, it's like when you're talking to somebody right. and you can see in their face. And the perception. The, yeah, yeah. Right, like like the perception of something being bad is as powerful as a bad thing itself. You know, sure, because. Yeah. People can just go on and on and on. And and I think that that a lot of times, even with the court system, it's like, you know, a lot of people are really presumed guilty before being proven innocent. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's not the, like, innocent until proven guilty thing. Sure, yeah. It's like, if it's the media, then, yeah, everybody's looking at you sideways and assuming that that is, you know, that you're guilty as charged. So pretty much just, like, the element of doubt mm-hmm. is so powerful and once you're accused of something, you're always suspected of it. You know, like sure, everybody's yeah. going to then be looking through the lens of questioning everything you've done in the past and everything you will ever do in the future. Yeah. And that's extremely devastating. As you know, for me as a person, that's been the hardest thing to accept that I have to, you know, continue to live with. That yeah. Everything I do is going to be. Um, questioned, judged, and scrutinized uh, with, you know, the, this huge element of doubt and suspicion that wasn't there prior. Right. And now, and I don't, I don't feel like I deserve that, but it's just the case, you know. Yeah. And um, so, like moving forward, yeah. Then it's really difficult as an individual once you've been. Um, kind of blasted because the, the media sees that, oh, they can, they can literally ignore every single positive thing I've ever done or ever will do and just look for anything that could be twisted or shaped into um, a sensational, yeah. you know, item. It's like just go on and on. You know, like when, when my son Langston was born, as you saw in the documentary, mm-hmm. um, you know, I named him Langston Atticus and TMZ, but somebody actually sold a baby photo to TMZ off my Facebook, which then I had to like shut down my personal Facebook because I couldn't, I didn't know. I thought I had eliminated all my friends down to who I could trust. Right. Apparently not. And then I was just so frustrated. And so they were like, you know, she gives her son the blackest name ever. <laughs> and Peg Langston Hughes foundation. And like, are you offended and everything? And they oh, basically man you know, had a perfect response to it. They're like, no, that's, you know, like Links and Hughes is all about, you know, race relations and <laughs> right. everything. So I think that's actually perfect. And so then they just like, that whole story just disappears. Yeah, it goes away <laughs> once no one's pissed. I mean, that's right. so telling. Like, yeah, yeah. It is like the national, you know, you can even Google NAACP response, Rachel Dolezal, in 2015, 
the national president of the NAACP put out a very thoughtful, you know, like, we stand by Rachel and the, you know, her advocacy work has been beyond reproach. We stand by her. We don't care who her parents are, whether she's black or white, that has no, you know, significance to us because NAACP was founded by both white and black people. And, you know, we care about, but she's enduring a private legal matter, family matter right now. So we want to give her privacy or want to give her space for that. And like everybody just ignores that. Like the media never it's like, oh, the NAACP supports Rachel. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was just like, yeah. oh, let's let's find these few little members <laughs> who haven't ever been like that involved, and let's like interview them over and over, and you know, get all the juicy stuff on why they don't like her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, your perspective, just I mean, you, you, you your work with the NAACP and uh, since the fallout uh, since then as like a I mean, maybe target is the wrong word, but that's the word that comes to mind. I, I feel like that makes that almost brings your perspective as it, it, it almost brings it full circle in the sense that like you've been on the front lines of fighting racism and you've been a tar I'm curious if afterwards like a, 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 the kinds of racism that have possibly come your way I'm curious about that because in the wake of what happened it's like you can get it from any side about anything because there can be white people who are mad at you for the way you think of, of, of uh, the way you defended black people and they might call you a traitor. And it's like the, obviously black people have their, their problem with you. It's like, I'm curious as to like the, the sort of in a personal way, like the different angles at, at which, I mean, to use just the punching bag term, like at which you've been attacked. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think that through it all, I've really um, had to just stay very clear on who I am. And um, Malcolm X's oldest daughter reached out to me back in, at the end of 2015. She was just kind of like, you know, don't forget who you were in May of 2015. Mm -hmm. This all popped off in June. And, you know, like, <laughs> this just that statement and a lot of her encouragement then since since um, that year has just been meaningful because I I haven't changed. I mean, I do remember who I who I was then, who I have always been, mm -hmm. who I still am today, and so I kind of have have had to reinforce that because in the in the face of both sides, which a lot of people who are you know, mixed or whatever, like get that, like you're not black enough, you're not white enough. Yeah. And you kind of just get like caught in this in-between space of just trying to fight for your own existence, like to justify your own existence yeah. in the world. Like, you know, or if you feel an allegiance with one side versus the other, then it's kind of like you have to justify that constantly. Um, right. And so it's not something that just me, you know, like there are other people who have dealt with that to some degree and in some way, mm -hmm. just probably not on an international, you know, level necessarily in the same way. But I think that the consistency has been that I've always been hated by white nationalists, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. the, the KKK and the birthers and the um, Aryan nations and the neo-Nazis in North Idaho, you know, like they hated me 
regard. They, you know, like the whole the whole time. Like I've gotten, right. especially from white male, white nationalists in particular. <laughs> you know, they were so happy to take you know to see this whole takedown uh, in 2015. So that that remain their hate remained consistent, and they and I think that they took off the gloves maybe even a little bit more because I'm in public spaces, social media. You know, they used every every slur for you know, racial slur, gender slur, anything they could think of to basically trash and diss me. Yeah. Um, but the the surprise thing was that then, you know, what would be considered kind of a woke black feminist sector or voice, you know, was in agreement with them. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it, you know, I was like, how can, you know, like, how can that voice, like, but, but it was really, based on, I felt, and still feel kind of like a misrepresentation, like this caricature that was made of me, mm. and this, you know, like, this is who this person is, but it really wasn't, it, it isn't who I am, but it, it's like, you know, this caricature that was created, then we can then unleash all of that pain, because this caricature reminds us of um, racism, of pain, of cultural appropriation of all of these things that, you know, we, we fight every day, all those microaggressions, like all of the pain from history. I mean, everything can just be like dumped on her. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that, yeah, that, that was very hard. But at the same time, I also had that balanced out with, which the racial divide of film didn't show because they cut a dozen black voices that were, you know, locally that were actually talking, um, you know, on my behalf, like that were, were supportive. Right. And all that, like, I feel like just the film direction was like a heartstrings piece, and it was kind of, you know, me versus the world. It really wasn't the racial divide because yeah. they didn't show more of the pro-Rachel. Pro and I think that Netflix and the film director were just kind of, you know, partly afraid to, like, they didn't want it to be seen as them making a pro-Rachel film. I'm sure, yeah. So they... They veered a little bit, you know, they leaned into the opposition mm -hmm. more than I feel like was even accurate in in, in terms of who they filmed because they filmed for two years. And I, I'm like, still to this day, voices of support, specifically of black women, have not been heard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also, in a sense, that whole process has been, you know, a thing of stereotyping like the media has stereotyped that black women will be against me right therefore we only feature black women who are against me you know it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. i think that that's happened in media a lot like oh this group we are going to think that they're going to vote this way they're going to do this but then we're going to just blanket assume you know xyz and then we're and only only show or feature the, the people who who kind of validate our assumptions so yeah yeah, yeah. i mean if... that was hard but i but i do hear from a lot of black women specifically from either mixed or light-skinned black women who kind of you know share their stories of being caught in between and being you know like accepted in the black community until it's convenient to you know be kind of excluded and like you're not really black you don't really get the full experience because you're not you know that right. dark or you're not your hair isn't this and um and some of those stories, you know, like there is pain there that yeah. that is equally valid to 
being, you know, on the other side, I think pain is pain and we're all trying to heal and coexist and be loved. And so, yeah, yeah it's been an interesting journey, just kind of being the, you know, depository or whatever <laughs> yeah. of all the healing yeah. coming, you know, any, any day that somebody watches the it's like still for the first time. Like I, you know, I get a DM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I just they're really watched it. And it's like brand new for them, and it's like, <laughs> you know, but kind of like keeping a level of like, okay, that's that's not just something that has to stay fresh in my mind. But it's like, it's like it just happened right. for somebody in Australia who just watches it and didn't even see the news. You know? Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, uh, um, the 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 you you talking about how like it was a weird unification of like uh these like horrible white nationalist people and uh mm-hmm. this uh, black feminist uh g- groups as well sort of like uniting in, in that it it just underscores this like this i this uh identity politics thing and i'm curious as to i mean it's such a it's such a phrase that's thrown around so much now, identity politics. And I think it means different right. things to different people. But I'm curious as to your take on or experience of it uh, out in the world. I mean, especially because you're, you're be, it's being thrown at you often, uh, whether you want it or not, or, uh-huh. and whether people think you brought it upon yourself or not. It is thrust at you and from all different angles and and it and i'm curious as to your take on that yeah well that phrase i feel like has been most often um used or or i've heard it most often from the right Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's just identity politics and you just wanted to you know people assuming then that there is some kind of advantage right you know that that i incurred like you know i wouldn't have identified or affiliated this way if it wasn't to my advantage because that's what people usually do mm. you know like let's just not even assume for a minute that she, it just could have just been how she feels and that's who she is and she can't change that so that's how she you know but when it comes to that um phrase from the bright it's like okay people assuming i benefited from affirmative action and i did all which i never did because i never had a full-time tenure track position and you know contract positions are not, you know, don't go through the EEOC right. affirmative action um, funnel. Anyway, so just people kind of like assuming all this stuff, like, oh, it's it's to your advantage if you can be like you're special if you can be non-white in America or whatever. And <clears throat> that was based on just some some ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> Like, actually, white women benefit from affirmative action more than any other demographic. But people don't want to talk about that. Mm. (laughs) We want to talk about um, some of the inaccuracies of the assumptions about, quote, identity politics. Mm. But I think that people seem like, oh, that person is trying to be cool. And like Elizabeth Warren was called by Charlemagne the God was like, oh, you're the original race of overall or something. And then that was... Mm. Uh, trending on number one topic trending on Twitter that day. And, you know, it was it's just like people as, immediately assume that it's a bad thing because typically, you know, it it has historically there were a lot of like infiltrators and people trying to game the system for their own advantage in different ways. But most of the time, that that was done by white passing. 
you know, mm-hmm. if, I, if I was crossing the car line in the other direction, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, you know, I'm going to gain privilege because I can pass as white. Like I, you know, I'm just going to sort of, uh, Alison Hobbs wrote the book, A Chosen Exile, which just describes the entire history of racial passing in America. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it went that direction. So to go the other way, I think people then just, their jerk reaction is like, oh, that must have benefited. They, that person wouldn't have done that if it wasn't to their financial advantage or their whatever. Right. And, and I think that from the left, identity politics, which isn't usually talked about with that phrase, it's more of um, just talked about in group by group. Like, you know, you should be proud to be right. bisexual or pansexual or whatever, bi- non-binary gender, whatever it is that, you know, like you should be proud to have um, become so self-aware that you can correctly label all of your categories. Right. You know? Like that's, that's a goal because then, you know, you can fully express that to the world. You don't have to be repressed. You don't have to hide it. Um, you can show up as fully yourself mm-hmm. at your job and in, in society. And I think that that kind of more celebratory sense really is more of when it comes to the race world, it's more of like a cultural thing. So when we talk about culture or ethnicity, there's usually like a sense of pride and belonging and like we, you know, share this kind of food or we listen to the, you know, this kind of music or we, you know, have, we know how to do this or that. And it's like a um, shared lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So people kind of rally around that. It's just, so there's more like pride and positivity around culture typically than there is around race, you know, because race is like, oh, that, you know, that group, like those people, like, yeah. Right. And you start thinking about all the things that you think bad about white people, all the things that you think bad about, you know, like Trump just said, what, this last week, like, do you love your country or Hispanics more? Or was it yesterday? I don't know. But anyways, it's that kind of thinking of, well, that's a false dichotomy. Like why, why would has that even a choice between those two things, you yeah. know? But I mean, he's always manufacturing about, division. Well, you, yeah. Right, right. Because, like, let's talk about what kind of food you like to eat, what kind of music you like to listen to, and, you know, how you raise your kids. And, like, that That then becomes, like, a positive conversation that can kind of unite people versus, you know, like, what's your level of melanin and texture and you know do you think that this person has a right to do this or that you know and so yeah it is weird you know it it it, the more you get down to like the the very like unchangeable uh like on the 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 more like physical attribute lockdown like category stuff i think is when people start to get a little bit in trouble or liable to sort of like be uh wield it as a weapon more than it more than anything else you know and i i, I, I right. it's interesting to 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 i mean interesting for lack of for you know to put it mildly uh your experience of sort of like uniquely having gotten it from from all sides really you know um and i find that you know because i i i 
it is it is true that the it, you hear the phrase identity politics so often from the right as this like dismissive oh they're just playing their identity politics over there on the left but it's i find it interesting that it's not like they're not doing the same fucking thing with their thing you know uh, right. uh i mean there are there are the republicans in <laughs> well, the house yeah. and senate that I mean, but, wield that like it's fucking just as much of a weapon as anything else you know right the whole idea that america you know was once great and we need to go back to that or whatever is also a form of identity politics in a sense you yeah. know like yeah. but we need to go back to sexism racism you know like larger degrees of of that uh the historical oppressions or you know the white male driven world is that what you want to go back to because yeah i mean MAGA yeah, i don't is, care much about yeah. women or yeah maga is basically i mean make america great again is like if you're not a white guy that's just not for you mm-hmm. you know like it's not well straight white guy right 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 straight white guy you know like that's probably straight rich white guy <laughs> it helps <laughs> it totally helps yeah uh, it's just non-disabled right yeah, too. yeah checking all the boxes <laughs> i mean if you're that then like maga is for you and it's not it's not it's barely even coded or cloaked it's just like the all you have to do is think about it for a second who would that be good mm-hmm. for making america great again who right. would that be good for and that's one very narrow group that's historically uh, tried mm-hmm. to remain as narrow as it can and, and gain power for itself. And it's interesting and it's it's weird that that's – I don't want to say it's glossed over because Trump and his ties to white nationalism or whatever is stoking the flames of that. It's not like – that's not like nobody knows that. But specifically Make yeah. America Great Again is uniquely – odd to me in how much it slips by the the idea of how directly sort of only good for one very narrow group of people that is that's as identity Mm -hmm. politicsy as as anything could ever be it's just like it's using this buffer term that you can put on a hat you know uh like a country club yeah totally it's like a it's like a code (laughs) that you can use in public and say it without like mm-hmm. you know feeling racist or whatever you know um but yeah it it is interesting that it's just as i mean i find this to be true often you know the people that are whoever's shouting against something they're liable to be doing it or, or to be the greatest offender of that you know and I'm, i i uh-huh. see that so much on the right with this idea of you guys as in you guys on the left are playing identity politics but you're playing identity politics so much that it's on your fucking hat at rallies you know what i mean so it's uh it's 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 very hypocritical people will people will feel safe like they'll still feel like it's coded like their mask is still on right yeah they feel secure with that because it's not like they're not flying a confederate flag on their hat but they could be you know or a neo-nazi you know swastika or something but but it's not that like we would never do that Mm -hmm. you know but but this is okay because it's just the good old, you know, traditional values right. or however you want. Like all those things are kind of code word for, which is why undoing racism, undoing the race worldview is really important as a starting point in education and politics and, you know, criminal justice and all this stuff. Because a lot of people, like they, some people have intuition, like they're like, oh, that just doesn't sound right or that doesn't feel right. But they don't know why. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so if they can't if they can't articulate why historically, then they're not really armed to fight it, or mm-hmm. they're not armed to like, you know, defend that feeling, you know, like to support their intuition. And like, I don't want to support that, but I can't really argue against it because I don't really know why I don't support it. Right. It just seems a little off. So I think it's important to educate, and if people know that traditional values or make America great again, or just, you know, let's go back to the good old days and all these kind of phrases <laughs> are really, you know, kind of trigger points for mm-hmm. people on the other side hearing those. Like that that's a red flag. Like that's a warning sign. Right. It's like if in, in your relationship and, you know, your partner does something that's like, ooh, that's controlling. Like that might be, you know, warning sign of unhealthy relationship in the future or whatever. Right. <laughs> totally. So yeah. you like take note of those things just because um you're you know, you're you have to be aware. You know, as a mother I have to be aware of these code words in society because I want to know who my kids are safe being around and also, you know, kind of take the temperature of the of the society or the room of kind of like, okay, what, you know, like what dangers might they be facing mm-hmm. um, now and, and then try, you know, do my best to either educate them about those or protect them from them or whatever. Right. So I think that that's, yeah, yeah, I, definitely. People, people on the other side are kind of like, "Ooh, you know, make America." Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of us felt like that when we first heard the phrase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what? Right, totally. Yeah, Seriously? it just seems so <laughs> obvious. I mean, it's just as obvious as when I see <laughs> Trump talk. I'm like, "Well, that's a fucking sociopath. He can't possibly right. be president." And then a year later, he's elected, and I'm just like, "Am I the fucking crazy one? Like, what's happening?" You know. Um, but speaking of Trump, yeah, I mean, I'm curious being someone who's been in the spotlight, who, who has black sons, who has been in the spotlight really from the Obama era into the Trump era, era rather like the, just in the, the temperature out there, like what, how much of a shift has there been in your eyes because when I, it's like hard for me to even remember what it was like when Obama was president, you know, and it's like because it's right. so this is like a bludgeon to the head every day with Trump just stoking some fucking flame or saying some stupid thing or whatever it is that it's hard to even like access those memories. But but to you, just being at the center of the conversation about race and, you know, it's 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 been such a, a hot button thing in different ways and from different mouths at different times in the last you know six years especially i'm curious as to like if there's been a shift through your eyes or anything like that well i think that there are certain lightning rods that you know in you know certain moments that spark kind of it's almost like it reveals what people were really thinking all all along and obama's election was one of those and mm-hmm. Trump's election was another one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and my whole, you know, crazy explosion thing in, in 2015 was another one of those, you mm-hmm. know. And so I feel like, um, and to some extent, Caitlyn Jenner's coming out was one of those, you know, like where, where you start to see who your real friends are on Facebook or lose friends or whatever because you're like, oh, really? They feel like that about <laughs> this issue? Right, right. And so when Obama was elected— I was living in North Idaho, unfortunately, at the time, and um, 
<clears throat> I became the, the director of the uh, of education for the Human Rights Education Institute that same month and year. Mm. So, like, right when Obama was elected, I was named director of that institute. And the institute only exists because there was a the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Aryan Nations, their international headquarters and compound in North Idaho, mm. shut them down, bankrupted them. Et cetera. And out of that was born this institute that was supposed to be a preventative measure so that that type of racism and white supremacy never, you know, festered in that area again. Right. So when I when I got that position, it was kind of like this local um, reaction to Obama's election, you know, against me. And there was and that's kind of where in the local sense it started, because the Aryan Nations were like, she's a bastard. Like people you know, looked at me for five seconds and saw that I was had this agenda for, like, implementing um, black history programs in schools and doing all this cultural work. And, and so they're like, oh, she's, you know, they call me a bastard child. Obama's a bastard child, which they consider, like, anybody mixed. Oh. It's not have a soul. You know, it's like, okay, if you're, like, black, you marry black, you know, for generations, like, you stay on your own side. But under the Aryan Nations worldview, Eve mated with Satan or the serpent to produce all the non-white races. Even Adam and Eve were white <laughs> under their worldview. So then, you know, all the non-white races like really don't have a soul. Um, and so when, like, it's not wrong to kill somebody. Yeah. Like they literally said these things about in in context of Obama and me. Mm-hmm. You know, when talking to the media, like it wouldn't be wrong to kill her or him. Because blah blah blah, so oh that was kind of you know a lot of this stuff came to the forefront when he was elected, and it's not like people just became racist that day or just started feeling a certain kind of way about you know prejudice. It's it's like these things are festering. That was a big uh, lightning rod, yeah. Because it's like we have a black president, which you know was in and of itself a little bit of a revelation because Obama hadn't. Even identified himself as black previously. It was like he was mixed and, you know, he had a white mom and raised, but, you know, right. like he kind of said he's more white culturally and all these other things. And then it was like, no, he's black, period. <laughs> so <clears throat> for like in a local sense, they said their very nation said that their phone was like ringing off the hook the next day after he was elected. And so it's kind of like this uprising mm. of this reaction against his election at the same time there was this huge sense of hope yeah and you know on the other side like i was like what and so my son franklin came home from school he's in second grade i remember clearly like the day after obama was elected he came home he said mom i said the pledge of allegiance today for the first time if my first response was like what have you been doing this whole time how did your teacher not let you like, you know, because I know that they're supposed to. And he's like, oh, I just was kind of saying blah, 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 but my mouth was moving, you know, mm. like, I, but I never said the pledge until today. And I was like, well, why why today? And he said, because Obama was elected, and I feel like the flag might stand for something other than genocide and slavery. Wow. Wow, that's fucking and, incredible. Wow. You know, for a second grader, it was like, that's that summed it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so there's it summed up that hope, that kind of optimism of like, well, anything's possible now. Maybe we can move into a post-racial society. Maybe we can. And then, of course, came all of the 
ugliness of racism, yeah. you know, directed from the right, you know, towards Obama and the slurs and, you know, the ugliness against Michelle and, and you know. The birther so, movement so was, alone, and, yeah. The, right, which yeah. came out of North Idaho, basically. So, yeah, it's it's just uh, that that was, I noticed both things. I guess, as I said, it's like a lightning rod. Mm-hmm. And then with with what happened with me, I noticed kind of some of the same, like this, this reaction of, you know, street, like it was either love or hate. Yeah. And then with Trump, it's either love or hate all over again, you know? Right. And so, um, but with Trump, I feel like it's been an emboldening of, um, you know, racism and the white nationalist ideas and, those hierarchies, those old views of um, superiority, and and not just with you know white versus black or white versus Hispanic or whatever, but also with male versus female. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of sexism that hasn't necessarily been talked about as much in his administration, but who um, he appoints and just like the vibe of his presidency, I feel like has taken us back, um, which I guess was his goal. Yeah. That's what Logan is. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's interesting. It's, it, it kind of, I mean, because I think because I'm in LA and if I, anywhere else in the country, it's probably New York or another city. My experience of, of Obama was like, well, fucking everybody loves Obama, you know, uh, because everyone in my world did. And so that was, I mean, look, Hillary was the the candidate that she was. So you can't like eliminate that from the conversation because she was, I think, you know, in, in so many ways, a uniquely positioned to lose that race, uh, regardless of who her Mm -hmm. opponent was. But putting that aside, it was – I wouldn't say it was like – it wasn't not known to me. It, it wasn't known to the degree uh, that it was true. I didn't realize the degree to which there was this like unbelievable – unbelievably sort of potent uh, sort of like racially uh, motivated dis- disdain for him. And, and that mm-hmm. sort of almost created – a uh, clear path to Trump and and his base, and Trump obviously, right. I mean, bef- well before he entered the race, was engaged in that. I mean, his you you could easily argue that his his jump into the political sphere was was from the birther platform, you know. And so, like, there's right. a direct there's a direct line from anti Obama racially based anti Obama stuff to Trump's mm-hmm. ascendance, and uh, I. It's yeah, well, yeah. and I really felt that in you know, where I was like, Idaho's a 75 or more percent Republican mm-hmm. state. I mean, like, it's it's very white conservative. I mean, even I live in east, I'm 30 miles from you know, I'm like right across the border in Washington state now and have been for years, but like, it's, it's the same area, it's two percent black here. I wow. mean, so in that, in this kind of an area, you really feel that pulse. Mm-hmm. Like you feel that wave of entitlement and empowerment. Per, I, I don't know if I'd use the word empowerment, but like that sense of, yeah, we're on top. Right. With the, um, you know, with Trump's election, whereas 
with Obama's election, you felt that uprising of of anger. Mm. Um, you know, but at the same time, you kind of keep track of your own feelings. And like I said, you know, Franklin's feelings yeah. <laughs> coming yeah. home from school, you know, with so, – so, like, just seeing both sides, I guess I've kind of always been sort of in this in-between space of just kind of having a really clear view of both sides and – um, it's it's kind of strange place to live because it's very nomadic and very kind of um, lonely at times. But yeah. at the same, you know, in the same sense, there's there's perspective there because um, you don't have that sense. Like I'm I'm just on this side solidly, and and always will. You know, everybody will always you know, defend my space on that side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's no place for me really right. solidly other than in my own heart and soul. Like I know who I am and I'm not going to afford anybody to tell me who I am, but you know, beyond that in society, there's, there's kind of a sense of um, being blown, blown around with the wind as far as how people want to treat you. So. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it I, I, just from the outside looking in, I mean, it's, 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 it makes me want to ask you, like, what, I guess, like, people talk about, like, this idea of safe spaces, which is a whole other conversation I want to get into. But it, the phrase comes to mind in this, where it's like, what, where do you feel safe? Not like literally where, mm -hmm. but like on the, on that, I don't know, like, it, it, now, like, it's sort of like you've moved on and you've found this sort of, as you're describing it, this sort of place within you to say, well, I know who I am. So that uh, people on that side can say this, people on that side can say that, but I know. Was that mm -hmm. like a, an, an arrival to that for you? Or was that sort of always there and it was being blown around in the wind, but you always knew where you were kind of thing? Yeah, it's, it's definitely always it's always been there. I think as a child, it was really hard to navigate like what was, um, you know, I was getting all this input that something was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, you know, just in my formative years, I felt like there was constantly like something I could never fully atone for. Like I couldn't sufficiently change who I was to ever fit in with, you know, my, my parents and that whole, like the whole like white, culture, whatever, like, I just couldn't really fit. I could never do enough. I could never be enough. I tried very hard to, you know, not get um, punished or whatever, but literally, I mean, I had, you know, demons cast out of me. I mean, supposedly, you know, all these kind of things. Like, so those experiences as a kid, feeling like I'm just wrong. Like, I just yeah. was born wrong. And then you know, over time, what I did is I just moved all of what fed my soul into a very internal space so that I, you know, I read books and I sought out things and I, you know, created art. I, you know, that all was very private. Mm -hmm. And I think when I was able to then relocate to uh, Mississippi for college and really became a part of the black community in West Jackson and had a lot of affirmation, like, um, like there's no way that you're white. Like clearly you're not white. Like you know your right. parents might. So but clearly your mom had an affair or something. Cause, like <laughs> white people don't do X Y Z. 
you know, and you do X, Y, Z, you have rhythm and you have this and that, blah, 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 like the art, you can see your spirit in it. And it's just, so I had all this kind of like affirmation, like you do belong, like the speed that, like not only did I feel at home, but I was also being told, yes, this is your home. You're accepted. You're included here. Like this is where you belong. And then really kind of, you know, then going to Howard University and then kind of regressing, I would say, a little bit. Trying to, I had to pull back during my marriage, which was right before I went to Howard. I, you know, was married, and that was a whole <laughs> an unhealthy marriage mm-hmm. and everything. But anyway, so so I kind of like my my identity or my the state. I, it wasn't the marriage wasn't a safe space, you know. So I kind of had to pull back into myself. Sure, yeah. And then after the divorce, uh, five years later. I was able to kind of, you know, express and expand and nurture those parts. I mean, kind of bring them slowly out into the open a little bit. And then in 2015, <laughs> 13 years later, it was like, yeah. bam, you know, right back into you are all you have. Mm. You know, like you're you're the only one. Like it's very, it's kind of scary almost to feel like you're the only one that understands yourself. Yeah. But there have been moments where I've felt that and I've had to, you know, just support myself internally, emotionally, and be strong enough to also support the people that I love. And I would say that, you know, my safe space now is it's myself, it's my kids, and it's it's a very small space, you know, a few uh, trusted friends, you know, that have been consistently there, but I don't feel safe and you know, in public, yeah. I, don't, I mean, in terms of like emotionally, I am very, you know, I have a lot of walls that I haven't dated since 2015. Yeah. You know, I, it's, that's scary to me. I mean, it's just, you know, like the, I, I really do feel a lot of anxiety because every single day I will have to delete people still every single day. Yeah. I have to delete some kind of comment, some kind of message about, um, how I'm not, you know, I'm not okay. I'm not acceptable. Yeah. 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 Well put. I mean, you said something and and in tandem with having seen the documentary just before that you go, I'm curious. uh, I know the, uh, your parents were extremely religious and sort of I don't need to put adjectives on them. Uh, you know what your parents were. You mentioned demons being cast out. Was that because of your struggles with identity? Like, what, what, specifically, was that like you are not because? Tell me, like, what what was that? Yeah, well, they they wouldn't necessarily put it that way, uh-huh. but it, it was for for behaviors that came natural to me. Mm. For example, what one, just one example would be, um, and a lot of it, I think they just thought of as gender stuff. Uh, uh, but like I, you know, I had sort of an inclination to to dance. Like it was not okay to move your body to music because that was just an essential of the devil. Like if you're a female, yeah, you're a virgin until you're married. You do, and in the, in the midst of this whole craziness. Like, these are the parents that support, you know, our older brother who molested me and my little sister, the only two girls in the household. So it's like you're kind of you're kind of being told all these things that you 
you know, that you're feeling that are wrong or that you're doing that are wrong as a woman and you're supposed to submit to the man, Mm -hmm. but then there's no accountability for the men. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. What about what they're supposed to be doing? So I think in the midst of that, yeah, there there was a lot of um, rejection on the basis of, like, from the, you know, my, my first drawings to how I, you know, to dancing, to just things that I, I would just be like, I'm just going to, you know, I, I didn't think about it. It's just something that I was doing. Yeah, when you're but a then kid. then the feedback yeah. was like, what in the world? Like, what are you doing? You're like, why didn't you do that? That's so weird. That's so wrong. That's so off. Like, that's not normal. And then kind of the, like, redirection, like, you need to be normal. You need to do things this way because that's the right way, the Christian way, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah I had um, definitely a lot of of that repression and and even abuse and and things that that kind of made me feel like I had to go inside to survive like that was the only place that I felt like I could know or be in touch with my feelings was just internally because if I expressed it in any way that was not going to be okay that was not going to be understood and it was a very you know it's Pentecostal you know, Christian fundamentalist mm-hmm. um, type of upbringing in, of course, Montana, which, mm-hmm. like, if you read my book, it was like a small town. It was right <laughs> because the population approximately three thousand, approximately three thousand people were white. Right, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was basically like a very homogenous group. Of, you know, to to just feel like so out of place there. And people have kind of been like, oh, it must, you know, it's probably some past life memory that you're, yeah, it's probably this, probably that. You know, I don't, I really honestly don't, no one don't care. I mean, I've taken three DNA tests. I've done that whole, that stuff that people kind of do to search for who they are. Right. And nothing has really ever changed or made me question myself. Because at the end of the day, I still have to be me if I'm going to stay alive. Like if I'm going to live the, in, in my body and live this life that I have, I can't, at 41 years old, I can't re- be repressed again like I was at 12. Mm. You know? Like all those pictures that people are like, it's like, oh, yeah, that was when I was 12. You know, you want to do that against like the picture of me. <laughs> you know, I've been braiding my hair for 20 years. Like, what do you want me to do now? Like, not braid my hair? Right. And, you know, braid everybody else's hair. And like, right, that's yeah. what I do with hair. And, you know, like all of a sudden you want, you want to, you know, like, oh, you should switch up and go be like, you know, when you're in Montana and you're 12 years old. And it's like, no, I don't think so. I don't, like, I can't. If I was to go back to that lifestyle, to me, that would be death. You know, like, that would be the like, internal death. Yeah. Um, because I have been able to own and nurture who I am in my spirit, in my heart, and in my mind. And what makes sense to me I have to live by that. Like, I can't stop living by that. I mean, and I think that's why I think that, like, my kids really know, um, they know me probably better than anybody else, of course, because they see me all the time. But I think that, like, a lot of this, they hadn't even really thought through. Yeah. 
like when a, when a reporter had asked, like a French reporter had asked Franklin, like, do you feel like you have a white side and a black side? <laughs> or, you know, how do you justify, you know, and Franklin was like, hell no, I'm black, you know? Like, right. Like they haven't really thought of like, oh, we're raised in some kind of like interracial household or yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. Um, the kid, the, as a child just, thing. Our family. Yeah. And you know, we're just like one group. Right. You know, we move, you know, we just. Yeah, it's so, like the group versus yeah. the individual almost. It's like there's the larger group and ideologies and and but then it's just really you or you and your family and it's just a, it's a much different thing you're dealing with. And it I think it's a microcosm sort of 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 everything we're talking about where you know the idea of a mm-hmm. child being away because there's no as a child there's no like a way you're you're wanting to be seen in the world you're just doing what you right. do cuz you're a kid you get in trouble for something you get in enough trouble you don't do it again but it doesn't change the way exactly. you felt that made you do the thing in the first place so it's like this purified simplified version of all of this you know you're a kid you're just doing what you're doing and you are you are told, and in your case, extremely uh, hypocritically, or, or uh, in a, in many ways, horribly, sort of forced to become aware of the fact that that's not okay, you know. But in in reality, a what the fuck is okay, and b it's like you're a kid, you know. And and I think that that's sort of when this shit sort of starts. And kids aren't aware of this shit at all you know and it's things like that that make them aware of this in the first place Mm -hmm. and you know like we're saying it kind of is and and that was kind of just like my you know as a very young child i was like wow you know like to me the pinnacle of beauty was you know a black woman like that was like black was beautiful like Mm -hmm. that was just like my like that's that's like beautiful like you if you want to draw a beautiful girl or woman you know in in a picture that's what I felt, and and everybody around me was like, "What in the world? Like what? You know, like it was in the seventies and eighties, you know." And so it was kind of like, like, huh? Like, where where'd you come up? Because we didn't have a TV, we didn't have, yeah. you know, a lot of external input. So it was kind of like, that's weird, that's wrong, like that's, you know, like no. And I I literally remember, um, like in kindergarten, like the. T- teacher being like this is skin color and this is you know it's a peach grant it's like that doesn't you know like that doesn't look pretty as pretty to me as the brown grant and so this is kind of just like okay that sounds super simple because it is simple because i was a kid kid, you know like it's you know but having an instinct that oh this is so beautiful that's just like that comes from a very innocent childish place Mm -hmm. and to have that then you know be be punished for that um there were lots of nights where i just cried myself to sleep because i i felt like something was really wrong with me and i didn't know what it was like i didn't know how to fix it Mm. um because it just seemed like things that came natural to me were not okay and but at the same time i still that's still how i felt so there was this this dissonance Mm. (laughs) of me versus you know parents and my older brother and you know just the peers I never fit in with my peers I I always got like straight A's and I was MVP in different sports and stuff because I just tried so hard 
to be accepted. And, yeah. you know, I worked since I was nine years old. I bought my own clothes and shoes because I didn't, you know, I was raised poor and I wasn't, they, I was going to get no Nike shoes or anything like that, right. you know, bought for me. So I would pick berries in the mountains and I would just like work so hard to earn enough money to buy some name brand things so that I would be accepted at school. And it just was never enough, you know? So then to, as an adult, after my divorce is really when I felt like I healed a lot of, I, you know, went to a lot of therapy and went to a lot of, um, kind of just, you know, surround myself with healthy friends, like got rid of the toxic stuff in my life, stopped speaking to my parents, you know, mm-hmm. like just, you know, got rid of all of that negative energy and really started building in a healthy sense. And so to have that, you know, the people who have perpetrated so much pain on you as a kid come back and basically um, get the world on their side. Yeah. You know, and then throw all that power of, you know, millions of people against you was, I mean, it was devastating. I I really believe if I was not a mother, I would not be here because it was too painful to just to be worth living just for myself. Like, you know, but from, for my kids, I had to press on because I didn't want them having any more pain from losing me. So it was kind of like, um, yeah, you know, it, but it, just just to have have healed from <laughs> those childhood traumas and then to have them leveraged so powerfully, like I did not see that ever. Ha- I did not expect that that was ever going to happen on such a massive scale. It is. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, it's as it is disturbing in the in the idea that those were your parents and that's what they were like. And then to have, regardless of the fucking truth, actually, to have them be the people that. The public is like, yeah, listen to them, like, regardless of what they're saying through your eyes. That's just like got to be an extreme source of pain. I mean, not that you need to talk about it, but as as, an, as someone who's empathizing, that that seems very sort of like a twist of the dagger that was already in you, you know, at that point. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I felt like it was it was not just for me, but also for my sister, yeah. you know, who I was advocating for you know the loss of justice for her mm-hmm. and which is why they did it in the first place right. they had to discredit me nationally in order to shut down her case in colorado right. so, I was a yeah. key witness. so it was like you know a huge loss for her it was a huge um, twist of the dagger for isaiah because when i sued them for child abuse and won full custody of him you know like that we we kind of felt like oh we never have to see them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the side, the lines have been drawn in the sand forever, and we're done. You know, like we have emancipated. You know, so it's kind of like there's there's three kids over here, and there are three kids that still remain. You know, kind of yeah under under their psychological control or manipulation, and I feel like to some extent. Um that became my focus, like surviving, you know, to make sure that Esther was okay, making sure Isaiah was okay. And he got through making sure, of course, Franklin was okay. And then I was one month pregnant at the time. So that also became like a big um, focus for me. And I think that that was a real gift. I mean, you know, as as 
crazy as, you know, having an unexpected pregnancy <laughs> coincide with right. this was, it was still like, a, I was losing, you know, my jobs, my, my students, like a lot of the communities I was directing my nurturing, advocating energy towards, mm-hmm. you know, I was losing those connections. And so I was able to kind of have a focal point for, you know, nurturing, I had to take care of my body because I was pregnant, right. you know, like not for me, even right. just, just for the sake of, you know, of Langston as it turned out. But yeah, so, so a lot of, a lot of things were, were very crazy and have been interesting to just, um, you know, evolve and grow through. But I feel like we're, we're either evolving and growing or we're, you know, like you can't just stand in place in life. You mm-hmm. either you know, dying internally or externally, or you're evolving and growing. And, and I chose to, to grow and, and maintain in some, and some days it didn't feel like growth. It just felt like survival. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that is growth. And I think that also just from where I'm looking and I know we should wrap up, we've gone over already, but this has been great. But I, from where I'm looking, it's like, Regardless of anything, I mean, to come from the parents that you came from and to be the kind of parent that you are, just just from the documentary alone, it's it's very moving and 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 I think that that's something that is that really stands out of your story, regardless of anything else. And I think that that's sort of its own inspiring thing. And I just wanted to say that you know before we go. Well, thank you. You know, I think back to what we talked about the beginning about you know undoing racism and implementing implementing justice i mean i feel like that's been my life like undoing harmful things you know and harmful thought patterns and things that i knew i did not want to be um and then replacing those behaviors and thought patterns with you know healthy parenting strategies and you know i did i didn't learn by example how to parent yeah exactly yeah (laughs) But I I know what not to do. Sure, that's you know? helpful as well. And yeah, so, yeah, totally. You know, that's a starting point. And then <laughs> I've taken a lot of parenting classes. You know, like I I've taken a lot of parenting classes, not because I felt like I couldn't, just because I wanted to have other information and input into, uh, you know, like I I felt like I I just wanted so badly to not repeat what I was raised with that yeah. I I had to get some fresh ideas and learn. So um, I think that's what, you know, what America needs to do at the, at the core is unlearn mm-hmm. and, and then replace and learn, you know, new behaviors around um, justice, equity, and inclusion when it comes to race and culture. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Rachel, thank you so much. I mean, I think this was very informative and I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Um, if there's anything else you want to say yeah. or talk about, I mean, I know we covered so much, but Feel free to add anything before we no, hop off here. Okay. No, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I'll just throw in a little plug for my website. Do if it, anybody's yeah. ever interested in doing my art or purchasing a signed book or anything like that, but it's just racialdozal.com. Cool. So, cool. yeah. All right. That's a good place to go. Good, good. Yeah, everybody <laughs> go there. Everybody that's listening, go there. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Uh, I really appreciate your time, and I'll let you know when we post the episode. All right, thanks, Matt. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>